Welcome back, listeners, to the Through the Psalms podcast. This is Wesley Provine. Today we're going to talk about Psalm 7. Before we dive into that, though, I want to address a technical issue I had on last episode. If you use uh, Apple Podcasts to listen to this um, podcast uh, on Psalm 6, uh, I initially had some trouble. Uh, only the music, uh, the intro music came through, and the actual um, Psalm 6 episode didn't come through at first. And so what I did is I um, deleted it, and then I re-downloaded uh, Psalm 6, the episode, and then it was fine. So I don't know if anybody else had that problem on Apple Podcasts for Psalm 6, but if you did, I would just recommend that you um, delete the download and then download it again, and it should be fine. And you can always go to the episode webpage also, and it'll take you to Anchor, and you can listen to it on Anchor if you need to. But I think all the other platforms were fine. I think it just affected Apple Podcasts, so uh, hopefully that doesn't happen again. But that was just a, a slight technical issue I wanted to address. So today we're talking about uh, Psalm 7. Uh, this is another Psalm of David. And the superscript says a Shigeon, <laughs> I have trouble pronouncing this word, Shigeon of David, uh, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Now that word Shigeon uh, is from the the word the Hebrew word uh, Shigah, which means to reel about uh, through drink. Uh, and But the word itself uh, probably means a lyrical poem uh, written with strong emotion or some type, some type of meditation or song. Uh, so this is a song of David, uh, which he wrote, which obviously if you read the psalm, it does have strong emotion in it, so that makes sense. Uh, the reference to Cush the Benjamite is a little difficult because he doesn't really appear anywhere else that I know of, at least in the Bible. Uh, I think this is the only reference uh, to this person. But uh, it seems like most scholars believe that uh, he refers to one of Saul's men. Uh, Saul was also a Benjamite, and so this probably refers to somebody that either followed Saul or maybe it was a family member of Saul. And he was persecuting David, and he was uh, saying things about David that were probably false. And so that's kind of the context of this psalm. And we're going to talk a little bit about First um, Samuel 24, uh, where Saul goes into the cave and, and, uh, and David encounters Saul there. And so we'll talk a little bit about that later. But this, so this psalm is probably set uh, before David even became king, probably when Saul was still king, and David was being hunted down and persecuted by Saul and his men. Now this is a lament psalm. I try to give you the classification of each psalm. Uh, this is a individual lament psalm, which means that it contains a plea for deliverance. There are two kinds of lament psalms. There's individual lament psalms and there's national lament psalms. This is an individual lament psalm. Uh, it's David uh, pleading with God for deliverance uh, from his enemies. Now, I'd mentioned First um, Samuel chapter 24 earlier. And if you go back and you read that, it's about... Um, 
when David as a when David is at in Getty, um, and Saul is hunting him down. Uh, Saul had been out um, fighting the Philistines, and he came back from that. And then he Saul took three thousand men and went after David. And David was hiding out at a, you know this cave in En Gedi, and En Gedi is uh, this place um, on the Dead Sea. Uh, it's southeast of Jerusalem. It's on the edge of of the territory of Judah, and uh, it's a spring that uh, on this promontory above the Dead Sea, and it's a desolate place. But En Gedi is kind of an oasis in that desolate region, and it has this spring of water there, and so that is where uh, David was, and he was in this cave, and Saul. Uh, goes into the cave to relieve himself or to go to the bathroom. And while Saul is doing that, David sneaks up and cuts off part of Saul's robe, just a corner of his robe. And Saul doesn't even realize it at first. Saul leaves the cave, and then David goes out after him and and, and bows and, and calls out to Saul and, and says, you know, shows him that he cut off his robe and that he could have killed him, but he didn't. And... Uh, it's interesting because David says in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 6, it says, And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David's men wanted him to kill Saul because they knew that David was supposed to be king. But David wanted to do it the right way. He wanted to do it in the Lord's timing. And he considered Saul the Lord's anointed, and he would not touch Saul. That is, he would not harm Saul. He felt guilty even for cutting off his the corner of his robe. He felt a prick in his conscience even for doing that. And so you see how sensitive David's conscience was, and you see what respect David had for the office of king. And he considered Saul the Lord's anointed. And, you know, the Bible says, touch not the Lord's anointed. And so David, you see the respect that David had for Saul. Even though he Saul was a wicked man, David appreciated the fact that he was king and that he owed Saul respect because he was king and he didn't want to sin against God by uh, doing violence to Saul. Even though, you know, in many people's sight, David would have been justified for doing that because Saul was uh, treating David horribly and trying to kill him and Saul was jealous of David, and so David was in the right, and and yet you see his faith and his patience that he wants to wait upon God's timing. Uh, he knows that he's going to be king one day, but he wants the Lord to exalt him to that and not try to take things into his own hands. So that's kind of the context of this psalm. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 7, and then we'll talk about it. Psalm 7, verse 1. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. 
Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Okay. Well, this psalm, I tried to outline each psalm that we talk about, and this psalm was kind of difficult to outline. It just seemed to have a different kind of structure. And so I, I came up with an outline. I, I don't know if it's the best I've done, but um, verses 1 through 11 I call the prayer for justice. This is David praying to God for justice against his enemies. The second part I call the preparation for judgment. This is verses 12 through 16 where God is preparing judgment against David's persecutors or those persecuting David. And then verse 17, you have the praise of Jehovah, where David praises God for what he's done and for his deliverance. Okay, so if we go back to verse 1, we see that as often is the case in, in the book of Psalms, David puts his trust in God. And we see that in verse 1. And he asks God to save him or deliver him from those that are persecuting him. And this is also a common theme throughout the Psalms is uh, the enemies of God's people or the, the enemies of David, the persecutors, those that are oppressing him, uh, those that are mistreating him. You see that quite often uh, in the Psalms. And David asks God to you know, save him or deliver him from these people. In this case, you know, we talked about earlier, the context of this psalm is probably either Saul or Cush, the Benjamite, or, you know, one of Saul's men. Uh, you know, David's on the run for his life. He's out in the wilderness. Uh, at one point, he had to go, uh, you know, live with the Philistines uh, in enemy territory to get away from Saul. And so he's really had a difficult time you know, he's been anointed king, and, and he knows that he's going to be king, but Saul uh, has kind of lost it, and he's jealous of David, and he's uh, just intent on persecuting David. And so David's really having a difficult time here. And so you can kind of understand, if you think about that, you can kind of understand his state of mind and what he's going through and why 
he would be uh, in such an emotional state um, because he's really on the run for his life. Uh, he's really having to defend himself every day and, and run for his life from Saul. Now, if you notice in uh, verse 2, um, it compares he compares his enemies to a lion um tearing you know tearing it in pieces and while there's you know it says uh, lest he tear my soul like a lion rending or tearing it in pieces uh first peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour so there peter compares the devil to a lion and says, you know, the devil is just a, a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so we see this same uh, metaphor, the same comparison, except, you know, David is not necessarily talking about the devil here. He's talking about his enemies. He's talking about those who want to kill him. Uh, but we all have enemies and we all, you know, we all have, a, as if we're Christian, we all have that common enemy, the devil. And he is like a roaring lion who wants to devour us or tear us to pieces. And so it would be naive of us to think that we can just go through life and not have any enemies and, and there's no danger. We all know that's not true. So in a way, as Christians, as believers, we have to be on guard. And like we talked about in a previous episode, we have to dress ourselves in the full armor of God to protect us from the enemy. Now, in verses 3 and 4, you see David's innocence. He pleads uh, his innocence. Um, you know, he says, if I've done this, then, you know, you know, I should be punished. But he, he, it's clear that he is innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. And if you know the story of, of David when he's fleeing from Saul, he really is innocent. Uh, the, the fault is all Saul's. And David has done nothing wrong. In fact, he's, he's done everything right. And it's just a matter of Saul being jealous. You know, David killed Goliath. Um, Jonathan loved David as a friend, as a brother. Uh, and Saul was jealous that, you know, his son Jonathan chose David over him. And and so David had done nothing wrong. He had done everything right. Uh, and so he really was innocent. And so you see this in the, in this psalm. He does plead his innocence. Uh, he mentions there in verse 4, Yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Now, that's probably a reference to Saul uh, in, the, in, the, in the episode in the cave where, uh, or the scene in the cave where uh, David cuts off that corner of his robe. David could have killed Saul there. He had his enemy in his hands, but yet he delivered him uh, and, and, and spared him. Uh, and he calls him you know, that without cause is mine enemy. I delivered him that is that without cause is mine enemy. In other words, he's saying, you know, there's no reason for Saul to be my enemy. I've done nothing to him. I've done nothing wrong. Yet without cause, he's mine enemy. And there are times in our lives when we have enemies without cause. We've done nothing wrong. And yet they just don't like us for whatever reason. And so I guess the lesson for us is we're going to have enemies. Uh, we all have that common enemy, the devil, uh, if we're a believer. But we'll also probably have people that are enemies 
uh, that people that may just not like us, they, maybe they're jealous of us, or maybe uh, maybe they've believed a lie about us. Uh, you know, here Cush, the Benjamite, was. Um, it seemed like he was spreading lies about David, and sometimes people believe false things about you. So we all have to be on guard. We all have enemies. Now, how do we deal with false accusations? Uh, it seems like that people were saying false things about David, and that's a very painful thing when you know you're innocent, that people are spreading lies and saying things that aren't true about you. And, and David knew what that was like. And how are we to deal with that? Well, Jesus is our example, obviously. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 21, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25, it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls." So you see here, Jesus was reviled. People said bad things to him or about him, but he reviled not again. Uh, he was threatened, but he didn't threaten in retaliation. What did he do? It says he committed himself. He, he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That is, he committed his cause to the Father. And so. That's similar to what we see uh, with David here. He was reviled. He was mistreated. But yet he goes to God. He puts his trust in God. He doesn't take retaliation out against, you know, he doesn't retaliate against Saul. But he, he puts his trust in God and commits himself to God who judges righteously. This psalm talks a lot about God as the judge. Um, and if you look at verse um, if you look at verse six, David asked uh, God to arise. Uh, he asked God to arise and lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. That is, he's saying to God, look, I'm surrounded by these enemies. They're threatening me. My life is in danger, and he's asking God to awake, to arise, to his defense. He's basically saying, be my defense, Lord. Uh, deliver me from these enemies. In verse 7, verse 7 is kind of a difficult verse, and I looked at it in, in different translations. Uh, but basically what I think he's saying is he's asking, he knows that he's not going to get a fair trial 
with Saul or his men. And so he turns to the Lord and, and he, he wants the Lord to be the judge. And basically, I think he's saying, okay, let's all gather around the Lord and let the Lord be high and lifted up on his throne and let the Lord judge this case. Um, because in verse 8, he starts talking about how the Lord shall judge the people. And he asks the Lord to judge him according to his righteousness, according to my integrity that is in me. David knows that he's innocent. That's the strength that David has in this case, is that he's got a clean conscience and he knows he's innocent. And no matter what any, anybody else says or thinks, he knows the truth and he's appealing to God who also knows the truth. And he's appealing to God who is the judge, who sees all, see, sees everything and knows all and knows everything. And he's asking God to judge his case. There's two different uh, judgments that the Bible talks about uh, in the afterlife. One is the bema, or the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers. So as believers, we will all stand before Christ at the bema, or the judgment seat of Christ. And that is for us to receive rewards and to give an account of how we've used what God has given us. And then there's also the great white throne judgment mentioned in Revelation, which is for unbelievers and those that don't know Christ. And that is where the Bible says they will be judged by their works. And so we know that God is the judge. We know that he sees everything and he knows everything. And we may not always get a fair or a true hearing on earth. And we may be mistreated on earth. But we do know that God in heaven judges righteously and fairly and he sees all. And so that's what David's doing. He's appealing to God and say, let God be my judge and let him deliver me from these enemies. David's confidence comes from the fact that he knows he's innocent. I mean, we know from our own experiences that when we're innocent and when we have a clean conscience, you have this confidence that uh, you wouldn't otherwise have. If you're guilty, you don't have that confidence if you're guilty, you try to run and hide and cover things up. But if you're innocent, you're not afraid for the truth to come out. You have that confidence because the truth is on your side. David mentions that the Lord tries um, or tests the hearts and the reins. That word reins literally means kidneys, but it basically means the inner man or the inner person. That is that God sees through the exterior. Uh, man can only see the outside, but God can know what's in a person's heart or mind. And then you see in verse 10, he says, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. David knows that he is upright in heart, 
He knows that God, he's appealing to God to save him because of his innocence. And he's saying, God is my defense. Saul could not say that. Saul could not say that God was his defense. Saul could not come with the clean conscience to this um, situation because Saul was guilty and he knew he was guilty. That's why if you read 1 Samuel chapter 24, you'll see that there's nothing Saul could do. He he just, he didn't pursue David. He, at that point, he just kind of left and, and, and because he knew that David was in the right and he knew that, that he himself was wrong. There's an interesting phrase there in verse 11 at the end. It says that, well, the first part says, God judgeth the righteous, and then it says, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, that's a that's quite an amazing picture. Think about the prosperous, wicked person who is going about living their life, and maybe they're, everything's going great for them, and maybe they're rich, and they have everything they could want, and everybody likes them, and they're powerful and popular, and they think everything's great. But they don't realize that God is angry with them, not because they are prosperous, but if they're wicked, he's angry with them because they're wicked. But yet they're totally oblivious and ignorant of that fact. It kind of reminds me of that sermon from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Uh, and basically that's what it talks about, how is God is angry with the wicked every day. If you haven't listened, if you haven't read that sermon, it's worth going back and and reading that sermon. Now, in verse twelve, there's a couple of possibilities. So it depends on what translation uh, you read. Um, the NIV says, uh, "If he does not relent," and that seems to imply it's talking about about God. If God does not relent, then he's going to sharpen his sword and he's going to bend his bow and judgment is coming. Other translations uh, seem to indicate it's talking about if that wicked man does not turn or repent, because the King James says if he turn not. So it just depends on how you interpret that. One, Some interpretations seem to indicate that it's talking about if God relents, if he does not relent, then judgment's coming. Other interpretations seem to indicate that it's saying, if the wicked man does not turn or repent, then judgment is coming. Matthew Henry is a Bible commentator, and he seems to go with uh, the idea that it's talking about if the sinner, if the persecutor does not repent and does not turn, uh, and I want to read a little quote from him on Psalm 7 in his commentary. He says, The destruction of sinners may be prevented by their conversion, for it is threatened with, this, with that proviso, if he turn not from his evil way, if he do not let fall his enmity against the people of God, then let him expect it will be his ruin. But if he turn... It is implied that his sins shall be pardoned and all shall be well. Thus even the threatenings of wrath are introduced with the gracious implication of mercy. While God is preparing his instruments of death, 
He gives the sinners timely warning of their danger and space to repent and prevent it. He is slow to punish and long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Of all sinners, persecutors are set up as the fairest marks of divine wrath. Against them, more than any other, God has ordained his arrows. And so basically what Matthew Henry is saying there is that God gives the wicked a chance to repent. You know, the Bible is clear that he wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all to repent and believe in his son and be saved. But not all will do that. Not all will be saved. Uh, and But God has that heart. He has that desire. And he gives people the chance to repent and turn from their wicked ways. Now, um, you see quite a picture here in verses 12 and, and 13. Uh, it says, If he turn not, he will wet or sharpen his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. You see here that God is preparing uh, judgment, that he is getting ready to judge the people that are persecuting David. And you see two pictures. One is a sword where God is sharpening his sword, and two is where he's bending his bow and getting the arrows ready. And that last phrase, ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors, uh, is quite a, a phrase there. And so you see there that like Matthew Henry said, that God is against those that persecute his people, those that would persecute the righteous. Uh, they may get away with it for a while, but they're not going to get away with it forever. And God was coming after those that were persecuting David. Ezekiel 18.21 says, But if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live, they will not die. You see here the graciousness of God, the goodness of God. Uh, the book of Romans says the goodness of God leads, you to, leads us to repentance. And so how gracious God is to give everyone a chance to repent. He wants to show mercy. That is God's heart. He wants to show mercy, but the person has to be willing to repent and turn to God. Verse 14 is another uh, powerful word picture, uh, a lot of powerful imagery in this psalm. Um, in verse 14, it's the picture of someone being pregnant with evil or pregnant with iniquity and conceiving trouble uh, and giving birth or bringing forth falsehood and lies. Um, so that's, that's quite a picture there. Uh, you see that the offspring of evil is lies, and, and the NIV translates it disillusionment. Um, so it's kind of a picture of reaping what you sow. If you sow evil, you're going to reap evil. If you are pregnant with evil, if you bring forth evil things, that's going to end in falsehood, lies, disillusionment. It's not going to end well. And that's the picture here of the evil man, uh, of these persecutors of David. 
Well, I want to turn real quick to Isaiah uh, chapter 59 because there's similar language to this in uh, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1, so as behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. That's very similar language to what we just read in the Psalms. Conceiving mischief and bringing forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice's eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. So we see there a uh, similar language uh, of giving birth or bringing forth um, evil. And the basic message is that nothing good is going to come from from evil. I mean, it's uh, it's going to bring forth uh, bad fruit, and uh, and it won't be uh, won't be good. Okay, uh, I also want to read uh, for just a moment. I want to read uh, Ecclesiastes chapter twelve and verses uh, thirteen through fourteen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So there we see again that God is the judge who knows everything, sees everything, and he's going to bring that all into judgment, whether it's good or bad. And that is good news for the person that's doing what's right, but that's a scary thought for those that are doing wickedly. So we see there that pursuing evil is futile and destructive. Okay, in verses 15 and 16, you see a picture of the wicked who set a trap for others or dig a hole for others, and then they end up falling into their own trap or their own pit. Uh... And they plan evil for others, but then it returns upon their own head. And uh, that's also uh, similar to a verse in Proverbs. If you, you don't, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Proverbs twenty-six and verse twenty-seven it says, "Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone it will return upon him." So, be careful. In setting a trap for others, because you may fall into that trap. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Haman in the book of Esther. Uh, he tried to um, persecute the Jews, tried to annihilate the Jews, 
and he ended up being hanged on his own gallows. So uh, the wicked plot against the righteous, and then that ends up coming back upon their own head. David praises God in verse 17. Uh, he says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. Remember we talked about in a previous episode that we don't have righteousness of our own. God is righteous. He alone is righteous. And he praises the Lord uh, according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So here we have again a picture where David is in distress. He goes to God in prayer. He puts his trust in God. And by the end of the psalm, he's praising God because God has given him joy in the midst of the storm. And David has that confidence that God will deliver him from his enemies. And we know the end of the story that that um, Saul eventually was defeated in battle and um, killed himself. And then he, uh, you know, David then becomes king. And so David's patience uh, paid off there. So in conclusion, what can we learn from this psalm? Uh, I think the basic question of this psalm is, what do you do when people mistreat you, when you're being persecuted, when you're being talked about uh, unfairly or lies are spread about you? Um, what do you do? Um, you can take things into your own hands or you can put your trust in God. And what we see here is David put his trust in God. Um, and then also David praised God. So I think that's the lesson for us is David sets that good example for us again to always put our trust in God, uh, commit ourselves to him that judges righteously and praise God, uh, you know, walking in faith, believing that he will deliver us. Well, that's all I have for this week. I want to thank you for listening. Again, if you have any feedback, you can always email me at allthingsnew, that's A-L-L-T-H-I-N-G-S-N-E-W, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and uh, I appreciate you listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless.